and we are continuing our series in the book of John. So if you flick toward the second half of the second half of your Bible, you'll find John chapter 8. And we're reading uh, from verses 31 through to 59. So that's John chapter 8, verses 31 to 59. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out my father, your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says, and the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus. But I honour my Father, and you dishonour me. I am not speaking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are a demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. 
Thank you, Rose. Hi, everyone. Great to see you all. I want to play a game uh, with you to begin with, uh, and it's all about uh, two children and four parents. Uh, here they are, up on the screen. Uh, and the game is what, what you've got to do, like, so some of you know the identity of those two children, uh, but basically two children, four parents, and you've got to work out um, which child goes with which parents, and what are the, what are the giveaways, what are the telltale signs, um, what are the characteristics that make you feel like your one parent belongs to a certain child. Have a quick word to the person next to you, see if you can sort of come up with some things. Right? Which child goes with which parent and why? Okay, so you're ready for the reveal, right? I'm going to reveal. Here it is. Click the button now. Whoa. Okay, there it is. Imogen goes with Harry and Madeline. Reuben goes with Olex, Alex and Holly. Uh, Olex. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so, what were the giveaways? The beard. The beard. Yeah, yeah, Okay. <laughs> So already um, Reuben's got that brown stuff on his face. Uh, and I thought related to that, notice Alex is wearing a bib uh, and clearly Reuben needs to as well. So uh, th there you go. Any other sort of giveaway? The eyes. Anything about the eyes particularly? I Imogen and Madeline, wow. You know, that's a real giveaway, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and, and the smiles, you can see the smiles and so on. Um, all right, so really lovely uh, to have you guys here and, and uh, Imogen uh, and Reuben and your families. Um, now, what we're going to do is look at John 8 this morning. Uh, and so you really need your Bible open, that would be great. But the, the big issue in John 8 is a debate over the identity of Jesus. Who is he? And in particular, is he the son of God like he claims to be or is he not the son of God like the Jewish religious leaders were claiming? So two opposite claims. Is he the son of God or not? Um, and what are the telltale characteristics? What is it about Jesus that would lead you to one conclusion or the other? Uh, so that's what's on uh, at stake in John 8. But I want to say that even as we wrestle with the identity of Jesus, um, there's something actually profound at stake for us. Because whenever you think about who Jesus is, it also forces you to think about who am I? What's my identity? Uh, and if Jesus is who he claims to be, then I'm not an accident. I'm actually being created by God. So it changes my identity just at that level. But the other thing is that Jesus offers to anyone who believes in him that we can become children of God. He offers a new identity as a child of God with all the joy and assurance and blessing that comes from that. Uh, so that, they're the things we're wrestling with today. But John 8, if you can open there... Um, and I just want to, the first point is to say that throughout John's gospel, Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly calls God his father. Um, so we saw it back in chapter five when uh, it said this, Jesus called God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
And the Jewish leaders could hear that and they were offended about it. It, uh, it made them want to kill Jesus because no, they didn't think any man should claim to be the son of God. Uh, but Jesus makes the same claim throughout chapter 8. He keeps on talking about my father who is above. I've been sent from my father uh, down to earth um, again and again. Or have a look at verse 54. He says, my father, whom you claim as your God, he is the one who glorifies me. So he talks to a Jewish audience. You know God, the God you worship. He is my father and he glorifies me. So Jesus calls himself the son of God. But along the way, he also makes a lot of other claims about himself in this chapter. He calls himself the light of the world. Uh, back in verse 12, and that's the start of the section uh, I'm looking at with you this morning. So in verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, big claim, isn't it? Anyone who follows Jesus will never walk in darkness. Now, in the Old Testament, God is described as a light for his people. Uh, so Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, or Psalm 119 talks about God's word as a light. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Uh, so that's the sort of Old Testament background. Again and again, God is described as a light for his people. But now Jesus comes on the scene and he claims amongst this Jewish audience that I, I myself am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Massive claim. If it's true, it's really good news. Because let's face it, we live in a dark world. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you sort of, you know, you cruise through life and you sort of try not to notice too much the bad stuff going on, but sometimes you just feel overwhelmed by the darkness that presses in. You know, you watch the news every night of the week and there are just instances of darkness of our world. Um, you know, we had at the start of this year, we had the terrible drought and then the floods and the bushfires uh, they filled our news night by night. And so in the midst of it, we tried to have little stories of light, you know, like a story of a koala who survives the bushfires or, you know, uh, uh, someone who acts heroically. Uh, but there's just so many stories of tragedy. Then we've got the coronavirus at the moment, so much fear and uncertainty. Uh, we hear of a woman in Western Sydney whose three children are killed by a drunk driver. You know, total randomly, comes. There's, there's no intentionality to it, but all three of her children are killed uh, by one drunk driver. Or uh, a man in Brisbane brutally, intentionally premeditated in his murder of his own wife and, three and, and his beautiful children. Uh, and you just go, what, what, what sort of darkness is there in our world that drives people to act like this? Uh, we live in a world of evil, of self-centeredness, so much pain. And 
The disturbing thing is it's not just out there. You know, it'd be, it'd be kind of all right if it was out there, but it's actually within, within us as well, within our hearts. I was talking to a friend this week who has been through uh, a horrible couple of years uh, and it's really had a toll on him personally and his family. Uh, and, you know, it's stuff that he's done, has contributed, but it's also stuff that has been happening to him and he's still trying to cope with feelings of anger and betrayal. Uh, and he's still trying to work out, can I ever trust anyone again? You know, when those who are closest to me have acted so badly. And he said to me this, he said, I'm so aware of the darkness of the human heart right now. Uh, but into our dark world, a light has shone. That's what Jesus claims. I am the light of the world, the light shining in the darkness. Um, when a little baby is born, uh, we talk about a light uh, has, uh, shining in the darkness, don't we? You know, a little ray of sunshine has come into the world. And now that's, what, you know, that's how these guys feel today. You know, Imogen and Reuben. It's like for those families, a little ray of sunshine uh, of joy and hope and beauty. Uh, but what Jesus is promising is a world scale. He is the light of the world, not just for a time, but forever. Uh, he will drive out all sickness and evil. He will defeat death itself. He will wipe away our tears he will restore joy and beauty. Now, if that's true, that is good news, isn't it? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The second thing Jesus claims is that he has come to set us free. Look at verse 31. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he says later on, the one who the Son sets free is free indeed. Uh, now that's true because we live in a world that is marked by slavery. Uh, and we're talking about slavery like there is literal slavery in our world. As much as we try to drive out slavery from our world, it just keeps cropping up all over our world. There are people treated in inhumane ways, robbed of their rights, treated as dirt uh, by their owners uh, but even in Australia some of us work for bosses that feel like slave drivers uh, and you say well you're free to leave you're always free to go and work somewhere else but the difficulty is that you know a lot of us have got debts and mortgages and bills to pay and so whilst We'd love to step out from under difficult bosses. Uh, it's just not, it's not that easy, and sometimes you can feel stuck in that situation. But um, often the sort of slavery that we have in our world is, uh, is not just that literally form of slavery. You've got addictions like alcohol addiction or drug addiction or pornography that so many people struggle with their whole lives but even if you think no i i've managed to escape all of that stuff you know i'm not an addict 
I'm not a slave to a boss or anything like that. But we all become slaves to our own desires. And I think this is one of those things where some people, some people get it, but I think you really need God's word to shine a light on this truth. That is, we all have desires in us that enslave us. You know, you kind of see it when you make the good news, uh, the New Year's resolutions. You know, and you go, these are good things. I want good things for the year ahead. But why is it that we so miserably fail again and again to do simple good things that will make a positive change to our lives and the lives of people around about it? Why do we keep slipping into patterns of self-centeredness, of lies, uh, of why do we keep doing things that make our lives miserable instead of making our lives better? Well, look at, look at how Jesus puts it in verse 34. He says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Uh, it's not just the occasional slip up, but Jesus is saying our, our habitual sin actually shows that we have an, a slavery to sin. But the good news that Jesus brings is I've come to rescue you. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, even from our slavery to our own self-centered desires. In fact, Jesus calls himself, I am. And I want to unpack that for a moment. So in verse 58, see what he says? Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny phrase, isn't it? it? Grammatically, it doesn't sound right. It sounds like you need to add something at the end. Before Abraham was born, I am, well, I am what? Um, and it happens in verse 24 and verse 28 as well, although the translators have felt like they needed to close it off. So where it says, I am, they said, I am he, in verse 24 and 28. But literally, it's a very stark thing Jesus says, before Abraham was born, that is, Abraham was born 2,000 years earlier, but before he was born, I am. Now, if I come to you and I say, I am David, uh, there's nothing controversial about that, is there? Um, but Jesus says, in, in front of this Jewish audience who know their Old Testament well, he comes and says, I am. And once you realize the background, you realize Jesus is actually claiming to be God himself come amongst his people. This is why the Jews at this point pick up rocks and they're ready to kill him. Because he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now I want, you, I want to have a look at the background. So um, remember 1,500 years before Jesus, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves to Pharaoh. Uh, they worked in bondage, making bricks, building buildings and so on, treated appallingly. But they were God's people and so God said, I'm going to rescue my people. And, so, and he raised up Moses and he said to Moses, I want you to go to your people and tell them that I'm going to set them free. And Moses says, well, look, if the people of Israel asked who has sent me to you, what do I say? What's your name, God? Uh, and this is what God says. So it's Exodus chapter th 3, verse 14. God says, I am who I am, 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Um, uh, and, 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 that, and that is God is who he is. Like God does, God's not defined in reference to something else. He is free to be who he is. He is eternally who he is. He has been from all eternity, I am. That's God's name. So in John 8, when Jesus is standing before these Jewish crowd who knew their Old Testament well, and Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, they knew what he was claiming. He was claiming that he was God come amongst his people. And so they're ready to kill him at that point. Um, so this claim of Jesus that he is the son of God, it's not a vague claim. It's not, like, it's not that he's kind of like God. He's exactly like God. He is in fact God himself come amongst his people. It's interesting, as you look at the Bible, a number of people are called the son of God. So Adam, the first person, the first man, was, is called the son of God. The King David is called the son of God. Even the nation of Israel is called God's son. And it's because of the intimacy of relationship between them and God. Um, but with Jesus, it kind of goes to another level. Uh, Jesus... What we realise is Jesus is eternally the Son of God. And so the way people throughout the last 2,000 years, Christian thinkers, have switched it around and says, Jesus is not just the Son of God, but he is God the Son. You know, you have God the Father, but God the Son, very much God, has come amongst us in the man Jesus. And the good news that that brings is, it's announced right at the start of John's Gospel. Let me show you it on the screen. To all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives us the right to become the children of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, God the Son, like he claims to be, then what that means is not only are we going to step out of darkness into the light, not only are we rescued from slavery, but... We are embraced into the family of God as his children, inheritors of the world, uh, blessed, loved, embraced. Now, if you believe that, that is really good news. That is news worth changing your life. It changes your life knowing that and believing that. But not everyone believes it. So the religious leaders didn't believe it. Throughout this chapter, you can see, like, they ask a lot of questions. Verse 19, where is your father? Um, verse 25, who are you? It almost looks like they're looking for answers, but we know already that they're very prejudiced against Jesus. They're already trying to kill him. And so in their questions, they're not looking for answers sincerely. They're looking for ammunition. They're looking for some reason to be able to boil over and proceed to kill Jesus. They stopped listening for answers long ago. And notice how their attitude escalates even in this chapter. Uh, so they start slandering Jesus. Verse 48, Aren't we right in saying you are, are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And as you read the Gospel, you just think, where on earth, like seriously, where on earth 
did they get that from? They know where he, they know he's from Galilee. Um, so what it, what it, what it's resorting to is they're just basically taking what's the worst slander. You know, you think about the worst put down racist word you could use. Capture something in your head. Right? I'm not even going to say it because you'll think I'm a bigot if I say something like that. But think about a, a racist, bigoted word, and then they throw that at Jesus. You're a Samaritan. You're one of the scum. And you're not only that, but you're demon-possessed. And at this point, you can see what's happening. They've stopped, ra- they've stopped engaging rationally with Jesus, and they've slipped over to mocking, biting slander. Uh, and so often, that's what happens, isn't it? I see it so often with people's opposition to Jesus. It so often moves beyond being rational. It's just more emotive. It's, 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 a, it's a reaction, a hostility, um, like kids who just fling names at each other, you know, in the sandpit or the schoolyard or whatever. They're just cheap shots. Now, why this slander? Why this name-calling It's because Jesus really ticked them off. Jesus offended them deeply. And and you've got to think, because the Jews, and especially their leaders, they thought highly of themselves. Uh, So, you know, they, they agree the world we live in is a dark place, but we're different. We live in the light. You know, we have God's word. Um, we're godly, we're educated, we, we kind of rise above the darkness. Um, how does Jesus say that we need to step out of the darkness? How can Jesus, how dare Jesus say that we need to be rescued from slavery? We're not slaves, we're children of Abraham. We're, we're children of God himself. And basically they're saying, Jesus, you're the illegitimate one. We're the legitimate children of Abraham and God. Have a look at verse 39. Abraham is our father. Verse verse 41. We're not illegitimate. The only father we have is God himself. But look at what Jesus says in response. Verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. Uh, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to, their tr- to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Now imagine if you are Jesus' like PR advisor, you know, sort of, this is public relations for Jesus, and you'd just be going, Jesus, what, what are you thinking saying that? Like you might think it, but you don't say it. But Jesus just doesn't pull any punches. He really believes this is true. Uh, so Satan was a lot murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you say, man, holy moly. But what's happening is, here they are claiming to be the children of God, claiming to be godly. But Jesus says, no, the children of God don't look like you. The children of God look like God. The children of God show love. They live in the truth. They live in the light. But the way you're carrying on, it's all about lies. 
It's all about murderous thoughts in your hearts. You are not the children of God. Your actions betray that you are children of the devil. And so it's no wonder by the end of the chapter they are picking up stones ready to kill Jesus. Uh, because, wow, that, they are offensive words. But I guess the thing is, whenever you're offended, the key is you've got to work out, it's not, do I find this offensive, but is there any truth in what Jesus is saying here? Uh, am I prejudiced towards Jesus? Is that, uh, or, or have I rationally, reasonably engaged with the teaching of Jesus? Now, at the start, I put up these pictures, uh, children and their parents. Um, and so often you can sort of match children by facial features and so on. So the eyes uh, we saw were a bit of a giveaway um, with Madeline and Imogen in particular. Um, but it's interesting, as you grow older, as kids grow older, you start to see kids taking on the character of their parents. Have you noticed this as you've sort of gone through life? Uh, it's funny, um, it's a bit of a wake-up call because as a teenager, you see everything your dad or mum do is wrong. You know, you start to see them in a new light and you just think almost everything they do has pr a, a problem, right? So this is the teenage mindset. And then you get into your 20s and you start realising, oh man, I'm, I, I, I'm starting to do exactly what my mum and my dad did. Um, my... Um, my, <laughs> my son, Daniel, just turned 24, or 24 tomorrow, actually. Uh, he's married, and he and his wife have uh, come to live with us back in our house uh, for a little while. And they've been there for about a month. So this is my 24-year-old my son and his wife, Paige. Uh, and I feel for Paige because she comes into our house, and it, and it does her head in uh, because so often it's... it's it feels to her like she's seeing double. You know, she's, she puts up with the quirky habits of her husband, but now there's her father-in-law doing the same things, and, and, and you can see her just going to a spin every now and then. Like, the way, the way I, you know, I sometimes sing songs, but I not only sing songs, because I'm just a joyful kind of guy, but I, get, I don't know the whole song, so I get caught on this loop, and I, and I don't just sing it in my head, I sing it out loud, and I don't even realise I'm doing it, but I just get caught in this loop of singing a song the whole day. And, you know, you guys might think that'd be lovely, you know, have, but it actually kind of can, can be a bit irritating, apparently, after a while. My son does the same thing. Or our hand gestures, you know how I sort of have awkward hand gestures? Look at my son, he just, he does exactly the same thing. Um, or, or our sense of humour, you know, which I think would be great if everyone had the same sense of humour, but she's going, oh man, it's the same, oh, I'm not coping with this. Anyway, for better or for worse, our kids resemble us and they take on uh, aspects of our character. Now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus cl claimed to be the Son of God, come amongst us. Um, and his actions backed up his claims. Uh, just when you see this man come with such love and wisdom, uh, you know, and just like God, he combines justice and mercy. You know, he's able to be fair, you know, and be committed to justice 
and call people to account on the one hand and yet so compassionate and forgiving and loving. Um, So often those two things don't go hand in hand, hey. So often in our attempt to be merciful and compassionate, we overlook the need for justice. Or so often in our need for justice, we become harsh and we lose our compassion. But Jesus holds them together. Jesus is able to be powerful and tender at the same time, profound yet simple, profound in that he engages with the highest level of debate, but at the same time is able to speak words that are so simple and beautiful that a child can understand. And as you see this, you're meant to be persuaded that yes, this is no ordinary man. This is God come amongst his people. Uh, Some people rejected him and hated him. But what John's saying in John's gospel is it's because of prejudice that they rejected him, not because of rational debate and argument, but because of prejudice and pride, uh, where people feel offended by Jesus because what he says implies something about me that I don't want to come to grips with. But for those of us who humbly listen and observe and feel compelled to believe, let me put it up again. To all those who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. Um, We don't, I, I want to be really clear, we don't earn the right to become children of God. Um, as if we have to somehow be good enough to be accepted into the family. No, we're given the right. We're given the right because Jesus has won the right for us through his life, death and resurrection. He gives us that right. But then what he does is he then gives us his spirit to transform us so that we become like our father, that we become like the children of God. Um, one of the, you know how I said songs get stuck in my head? I've had this song stuck in my head all week. Uh, and it's, it's, it's called, it's, She's Got Her Father's Eyes, right? Um, and this is partly why when I saw Madeline and Imogen's photo, it's like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. Anyway, so it's by a lady named Amy Grant. I knew this song when I was a teenager. This is what happens. I just get stuck on the loop from the 80s, right, in my head. But this is a beautiful song. Um, and so it's written by a, a woman who's a Christian, and she says, I may not be every mother's dream for her little girl. My face may not grace the mind of everyone in the world, but that's all right as long as I can have one wish. I pray when people look inside my life, I want to hear them say, she's got her father's eyes, her father's eyes, eyes that find the good in things when good is not around, eyes that find the source of help, when help just can't be found. Eyes full of compassion, seeing every pain, knowing what you're going through and feeling it the same. Just like her father's eyes. See what she's trying to capture in that song? What she's saying is, I'm a child, I'm a daughter of God through faith in Jesus. It's a privilege that's been given to me. And what I want for my life is to be so transformed by God's spirit that I am recognisably a child of God. The people go, there's something about her that, that shows that she is a daughter of God. 
Now, with, with all of that background, I want to finish with one example, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Um, when I was talking earlier about our dark world, this dark world we live in, I mentioned a mother from Western Sydney whose three children were run over and killed by a drunk driver. Here she is uh, at the site where her three children were killed. Uh, it happened three weeks ago. And as soon as the news hit the internet, uh, as, as, as it does, social media went into meltdown. Lock him up. Throw away the key. He deserves to rot in hell. Uh, just such, um, you know, a justifiable but, but an anger, a, a demand for justice. And then, and then this mother, Layla Abdullah, uh, appeared on national television and she said this. She said, right now, I can't hate him. I don't want to see him, but I don't hate him. I think, I, in my, I think in my heart to forgive him, but I want the court to be fair. So, like, how does she say these words? Like, how, how does a woman who's been through such grief and pain say those words? And you see what she's doing? She's combining justice and mercy. I want the courts to be fair, but I think in my heart to forgive him. So she's happy for the, she wants the court process to be fair, but she's saying, I don't hate him and I'm not going to hate him. She says, I'm not going to hate him because that's not who we are. That's not who we are. Now, how can she do this uh, in a world that is so gripped by a desire for justice and revenge? How can she forgive? It's because she has her father's eyes. Uh, this lady is a Christian. Uh, she went on to talk about God. She went on to talk about the forgiveness that she herself has received for her sin from God. Uh, and it's that forgiveness that she has received that enables her to extend forgiveness even to this man who has taken away so much from her uh, and breaks her heart to extend forgiveness to him. She has her father's eyes. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we want to pray for each person here today. Father, we, we pray that you'll help us to know you and to know your Son the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that Jesus came uh, in exactly your likeness. We thank you for his compassion and mercy and justice that he held those things together, powerful yet tender, so profound and wise and yet so simple, uh, so willing to teach us. Father, we want to thank you so much for our Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us, dying on the cross in our place. Uh, and as we believe in Jesus and follow him, we thank you so much that we receive the right to become your children. Father, please help us not feel like we have to earn that. It's a gift that comes from Jesus. But we also want to thank you that you pour out your spirit into our hearts to transform us. 
We want to we resemble you uh, in our love, our patience, our ability to forgive. Uh, Father, we want to resemble you and your son Jesus in the way we live our lives. And Father, we want to pray for this mother, Layla Abdullah, and her family. Please help them to trust you in the midst of their grief. Please help them to find comfort and hope in your promises. And we pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.